This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Welcome to The Driving Podcast. I'm your host, Lorraine Sommerfeld. In this episode, we're joined by Debbie Arnold. Debbie is Business Development Manager for Sound Insurance and a broker who has seen it all. Today, we're going to address car insurance questions, tackle some common misconceptions, and explode some long-running myths. Car insurance, it costs a lot. Most of us don't really understand it, and it's something we all have to have. Welcome, Debbie Arnold, to The Driving Podcast. Thanks for having me, Lorraine. I think this is going to be a jam-packed show because insurance is such a jam-packed topic and a lot of people don't really understand much about it. If you don't mind, just off the top, Canada goes province to province for auto insurance and there's differences between those, but it's basically public versus private. Can you just quickly outline what the difference is for people? Okay, so private insurers is the bulk of the provinces in Canada, uh, with the exception of Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Quebec has a hybrid system. Um, private insurers, you purchase it from a private insurer. It is highly regulated, though. So when we talk about private insurance companies, through regardless of the province, there's a lot of regulations um, that the private insurers have to go to, through. So it is still government, there's government oversight there. Um, So insurance companies have to go by those regulations. Uh, Where it's public insurance, you're purchasing it generally with uh, the registration of your vehicle. BC is also a type of public insurance, but the physical damage is purchased from a broker. So you you get your liability insurance from ICBC and your accident benefits, and then your collision and comp is sold through a private Uh, insurer in Quebec. Um, You're getting your accident benefits through the government and it's paid for by your registration. Um, And then you purchase uh, additional liability insurance. However, the liability insurance in Quebec, there is no tort liability in Quebec. So you can't sue somebody for injuries or economic loss if it's a Quebec residence or if it's another Canadian resident. However, somebody coming from the States, that's why Quebec residents do have to purchase some type of liability insurance. Um, If they're involved in an accident, there has to be some uh, source of recourse for somebody else outside of Quebec. Because we wonder why this is so confusing for people. (laughs) So the, 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 the thing about insurance you have to remember, it's the only product that you purchase that you never want to use. And I do have right. some questions about that as we go along. And part of sure. it is very personal because somebody dinged my car in a parking lot, but I'll get, I'll get to that complaint in a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, in places like Ontario, your postal code is a huge determinant of your annual rate. So what's wrong with lying about where you live? Why don't I just use my cottage address or something? And I know people that attempt this and do it. Why should they not? 
because it's fraud. Insurance premiums are are based on the use and the exposure to the insurance company. So if you're living in a highly rated territory like Brampton, but you're telling an insurance company you live in Timbuktu, they're getting premium for Timbuktu, but the exposure is Brampton. And if you get caught, they don't have to pay the claim because you misrepresented. Um, How do people get caught? I've heard the neighbors turn people in. I've heard disgruntled in-laws turn people in. So that's something people really should keep in mind when they're about to brag about this. Exactly. And when an insurance company is faced with a major claim, don't think they don't have private investigators checking where you actually live. A question always, I mean, we get questioned by insurance underwriters all the time. You know, like we're an Ontario-wide broker. We actually have licenses um, in many of the provinces in Canada. And we'll get questioned. We're a Toronto-based broker in Ontario. Why are we writing somebody in Thunder Bay? Um, and they'll ask to see a utility bill or a copy of a lease because it is, it's, a, it's a problem. Um, when you're not getting premium for the exposure and keeping in mind the basis of insurance is it's a pool. You put the premiums into the pool. The premiums pay the claims. But if you're not getting enough premium to pay the claims because everybody's committing fraud, you have a problem. A little bit of a gray area, I think, for parents is your kid moves out mm-hmm. and you don't know if they're actually going to stay gone because, come on, you know, there's some yo-yo sure. stuff that happens. So if I have my kid on my car insurance and they move out, I think, okay, I'll just wait a few months before I take them off my insurance. Like, we'll just see what happens before we change that address. Is there a drop date for your change of address? Is it immediate? Is it 30 days? And why should parents, is there something we should look at? Is it hard to change it back again if they do come home? Well, that, that's kind of a loaded question because it really depends on if if they have a car that mm-hmm. is in your name and they're taking it with them and they're moving okay, out, the, or are you just okay. leaving them as a driver on your policy? You can leave your kit if they don't have their own car, you can leave them on your policy as an occasional driver. That's And well, I, I suggest that. Okay, Um, the scenario I'm thinking is when a kid has their own car, but it's a family policy, like everyone's on it. Yeah, like the the parents are the registered owners of the vehicle. Yeah, and then the kid moves out and takes it. Yeah. Yeah, the kid takes the car with them. I would suggest the change, because garaging territory is a rating factor, so I would suggest changing the garaging territory for that vehicle. Sometimes some companies don't have the capacity to do that, so they might issue a separate policy under the parent's name with their mailing address, and then just rate for whatever garaging territory. That might be beneficial, depending on where the kid moved. If you are if you live in Brampton and your kid moves to Toronto, you're going to pay a lower premium. Okay, right? but again, this is something material that you do have to tell yeah, your you should, you should. About. You should. Okay. Um, I mean, if it, 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 but you also have the occasions where the kid is taking the kid, taking the car to university, mm-hmm. right? So where they're still coming back home, there's a lot of different scenarios. And my best advice, speak to your agent or broker about the best way to handle it and what the exact circumstances are. If they're taking the car with them, then they, I suggest to my clients, have them register, give them the car, register it in their name, let them pay the insurance for it. Right. <laughs> so many yeah, I know a lot of parents don't like to do that for some reason. I'm one of them. I had my daughter's car on my policy in my name, paying the premium and most of the monthly lien holder fee for like five years after she moved out. So I'm one of them. I get it. 
Um, but I did, I did have it rated for where she was living because I live in Cobra okay. in Peterborough. So I did rate it for Peterborough, but I was paying for it. So I, I finally did cut those apron strings. Though. Okay. So you know what? That's a good answer though for people that you can still cover your kid if you're choosing to do that and you can yeah. still do it legally by just oh, changing, yeah. you know, the address of where they live. Okay. No, I, I like that spelled out that way. Um, Next question, which is sort of related to this, sometimes in a, you might have two partners and two cars, and then a kid gets a car, and the parents try and say the kid's only an occasional driver, but the general rule is three vehicles, three licensed drivers, that's three principal drivers, correct? It, that's correct, and most companies don't get let you get away with it otherwise okay um there is there is a solution like i have i'll have clients that i'll have the two vehicles in the household and then mom or dad has a toy car they have that little convertible miata that they only drive in the summer in that Mm -hmm. case i'm able to exclude that underage driver or that kid from driving the Miata and they'll keep them as an occasional. A broker can make an argument, but if it's three standard vehicles, you're not going to get away with it. And my suggestion to all parents is let your child pay a portion of the premium because it does Mm -hmm. get, and I, I will tell you after doing this for 40 years, the calls that the parents get at three o'clock in the morning are the ones that they're paying their kids insurance when you let your kid be responsible, whether it be 20 bucks a month, doesn't matter yeah. if they're responsible for some of that cost, that parent is not getting that three o'clock in the morning call because the kid's invested in what it's going to cost if they, if they have an accident or whatever. They're not as, I guess, entitled then. Um, and, and that's the best, you have to, unfortunately, you have to take the kit, the hit. If your kid wants to drive a car and wants to have access to a vehicle at all times, they're going to have to pay the insurance on it. Now, if you exclude them from that Miata, the mystical Miata, yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you actually sign a document saying they will they not sign, be driving it. They sign the document too. The registered okay. owner and the excluded driver signs that. And by that doing means- that, if they drive the vehicle, there is no coverage. Okay, so so not even mom's in trouble. Go and pick her up, and that's the only car there. You, there's no footnote no. to that. No. It's no, we, so no. if you, we okay. had an. Incident I need people where, to hear this. Yeah, yeah, no, we had an incident where we had an excluded driver drive his what he was excluded um, because of his driving record, and they only had one car in the household, and the wife was going into labor, and he drove her to the hospital and got into an accident. And there was no physical damage on the vehicle. It, it, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. You've signed a, do- a legal document saying you're not going to drive. And if you do drive, then coverage is limited. So liability is that if you have $2 million liability, you're only limited to uh, 200000 That's all the insurance company has to pay out. They don't have to pay physical damage. And there's only some accident benefits that apply. Okay, so when so you sign, that's a serious endorsement to sign. I only recommend it to my client when there is no way around it, okay. where we're ha- going to have to charge, you know, $12,000 a year if you want to drive the car because your driving record is bad. Speaking of someone else driving your car, um, this must come up a lot. Someone will say, I've had kids ask me this, they're insured on their car. Can their girlfriend or boyfriend drive the car? Can their partner drive it? Is it dependent on if that person also has their own insurance? Is it? If it's just once in a while, can they drive it every day? 
and I'm going to move into roommate territory here too. So okay. I'll okay. hand you all of it. <laughs> okay. So here's a, anybody can drive your car with your consent as long as they're qualified and licensed to do so. And I say the and licensed part with the little asterisk there, because it depends on the province you're in. For example, in Ontario, you cannot allow a G1 licensed driver to drive your vehicle without somebody who has a G license for four years in the passenger seat. Okay, so you can't give the G1 licensed driver, here's the keys, take the car, and they can drive alone. You're not allowed to do that. But if that same car that's registered in Ontario is in Nova Scotia, the G1 driver can drive it because you only have to be qualified to drive. Mm-hmm. So it depends from province to province. There is different rules in terms of licensing and qualifications to drive. My general answer is anybody can drive your car with your consent as long as they're qualified to do so and they're not impaired or you don't, okay. you knowingly do not hand the keys to an impaired person. Impaired can be through drugs or alcohol, right? So if you know they're, they're impaired, you hand them the keys no, there's not going to be any coverage. Well, the coverage is going to be very limited. Okay. So is this a myth then that if I'm the only person in my house and I have three roommates and they all have licenses, can everyone just drive my car with my permission or well, do they have they to look- be listed okay. on the policy? Like, how does that work? If they don't have their own cars, then they should be listed as drivers in the household um, okay. because they have access to your keys, right? So they could drive the car. Like you're asleep. They want to run out to the store. They have access to it. They take your keys and go. Did they have consent? You could have an argument as the owner of the vehicle that you did not give them consent because you were asleep. But if it was, if they had regularly used that vehicle in the past, in consent is then implied. So you'd have a, a bit of a court battle there. Um, however, if you have roommates, if they have licenses and they don't have their own insurance, Part of the insurance application says list all drivers in the household. So all drivers have to be accounted for. Does that make your rates go up? Not no? necessarily. It depends. Um, I mean, there's there, there's basically four rating classes for people over 25. You know, it's pleasure use only driving to work under 25 kilometers one way, over 25 kilometers one way in business use. If you have a pleasure use only vehicle, you don't drive to work, you work from home and you have four roommates in the house and you list them, your rating will go from pleasure to commute over 25 kilometers. It's a distinction. It's just the type of, it's just the classification. So there may be an additional premium. So you want to, again, discuss it with your agent or or broker first and from province to province, those rules may be a little bit different when it's public insurance pretty much anybody can drive your vehicle with your consent right okay so it, but it would actually be probably a safer thing to do to just list them instead Absolutely. of having to face it down after the fact when you know something bad has happened and you're trying to explain why this person had your car especially when they're living in the household and they have the same address yes because it yeah. is part of the application the application is pretty much the same across the country you have to list all drivers in the household so you okay. do want to you do want to disclose them now. If one or two of those drivers in the household have their own insurance, you're just disclosing. No, they have their own insurance, but they are drivers in the household and they do have access to my keys. Okay, one more picky question about roommates. What if what if one of those people that you list has a really garbage record, like a terrible record? Then you um, you'll be excluding exclude- them from the policy. 
Okay, because they will check, right? The will they, they run will, the yeah, abstract? Absolutely, Ab- the abstract okay. and the prior insurance history as well. Switching gears a little bit here. If someone is going to be out of the country for three months or six months, we've got snowbirds, we've got people that travel, again, maybe, sort of. And I'll often get this question, readers will ask me, I ju- can I just cancel my insurance while I'm out of the country? And I'm like, whoa, 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 it's n- you need continuity of coverage yeah. because that's always terrifying. Um, but what can people do if they know they're going to be away for three months or six months? Is there anything they can do to save a few bucks and still Absolutely. maintain safety? What should they do? What they should do is suspend the coverage. So when you use a suspension endorsement, and this is pretty standard across Canada, at least for the private insurers, suspending coverage means that the vehicle is not being operated. However, liability, accident benefits, and direct compensation for the no-fault provinces is still in place. Um, So if you're storing your vehicle on the driveway, somebody loses control on ice, slides into your car while it's on the driveway, direct compensation property damage coverage is still in effect. If the brakes failed for some reason and the car rolled and hit a pedestrian, you still have the liability insurance. The traditional thing you would do would be remove road coverage and leaving fire and theft only on it. However, The problem with that is then you don't have that direct compensation, property damage, liability, or accident benefit coverage. So if you're you're away for three months, but you're still in Canada and you get hit as a pedestrian, you wouldn't have accident benefit coverage then. So that can be a little bit sticky. That's why we suggest the suspension of coverage um, instead. I never cancel your policy if you still own the vehicle. Um, That's a really bad idea because then you don't even get to have fire and theft on it. So you don't want to do that. Okay. (laughs) And this this brings me to... to, Wait, there's one more thing here. Because if you're a snowbird and you're renting a vehicle in Arizona or Florida or whatever, and you've canceled your coverage, you don't have accident benefits, you don't have um, any physical damage on the rental car. So you're going to be paying for that rental car insurance, which is very expensive. You're further ahead to leave yours in force for liability okay. under damage to non-owned vehicles. Okay. That segues nicely into someone who's giving giving up their car and they've had coverage, let's say for 15 years or something, but now they're done. So can the, if they cancel it, do they get punished if they buy a car a couple years later and have to start again? Do they come in as a new driver, like totally no. fresh? Okay. No. How does that work? But that, that's a yes and no question Um, because there's two sides to it. Insurance companies, for sure in Ontario, cannot rate you for a lapsing coverage because you don't have a vehicle. However, there's some insurance companies that have superstar ratings. Um, There's one in in particular that has a 20-year rating. They're the only company in Canada that has this rating and they demand 20 years prior continuous insurance history in order to qualify for that rating. So you can't be rated for it negatively in terms of, you know, the standard zero to six years clean driving, but you may not qualify for a superstar rating if you cancel the coverage. Um, So my suggestion is if there's another policy you could be listed on in the meantime, if you're planning to get another car in the future, 
whether that be three months or six months down the road or whatever. Um, if you could be listed on your partner's policy, your kid's policy or whatever, temporarily, that would be your best bet. If you've been driving that long, you know, like if you've been driving for 15 years and there's a company out there that gives a 15-year um, rating, then you want to maintain that continuous insurance history. Uh, but if they can't, for the most part, they can't they can't negatively rate you for having that lapse in coverage because you didn't have a vehicle. So other okay. companies outside that one um, <laughs> that I don't know if I can mention or not, uh, <laughs> that one company, everybody else will still give you for the most part, a superstar rating, as long as your cancellation isn't due to a cancellation for non-payment or underwriting reasons or fraud or misrepresentation, as long as it's because you didn't have a vehicle, you're not going to get rated for it. We have to go to break in a second, but I want to ask you one more question about that because you just brought it up. If you miss a payment or you you miss, you screw up, you don't pay yeah. your thing, it's not automatic. That's a really bad thing, correct? Oh, it's a really bad thing. We could have an entire discussion about this, so I suggest we do that after break. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're going to take a break right now. We'll be back with the Driving Podcast. I'm Lorraine Sommerfeld. I'm joined by Debbie Arnold of Sound Insurance, the broker who can answer all your questions. We'll be back in just a minute. And welcome back to the Driving Podcast. I'm Lorraine Sommerfeld. I'm joined by Debbie Arnold of Sound Insurance. She's the broker who is breaking down all the myths and misconceptions around auto insurance. Debbie, before we went to break, you mentioned, or I brought it up and you jumped up and down, about missing a payment or accidentally losing your insurance. Please tell listeners why this is so important to make sure they don't mess up. Okay, so when unfortunately, because auto insurance is a product that you don't really want to purchase and you don't want to use, people get a little bit negligent and complacent about their payment plans. This is probably the worst thing you can do. I tell my clients, I don't care if you have to eat hamburger helper for the month, make sure that your insurance is paid, whether it be monthly or whatever. And people get very... um I don't know how they get very frustrated about the monthly pay. I mean, in auto insurance is expensive. It is a household expense. I get it. But for, if you look at it from an insurance perspective, if you're not able to pay your bills, what is the likelihood of you putting through a falsified claim or claiming more than what you actually need? This runs into a whole moral hazard issue. I have a, I had a client who wanted to sue her insurance company for canceling her for non-payment because she kept NSFing her payment. Seven NSFs in four months. And she was upset that the insurance company was going to cancel her. When you purchase insurance, you're signing a contract that you're going to pay your premium. So it would be just the same as if you didn't make your car payment, if you have a lien or a lease. If you don't make your car payment, they're going to repossess the vehicle. If you don't pay your insurance policy or your insurance premiums, they're going to cancel your policy. And it's not, there's not an excuse for that. I mean, I, I pay my bills. I pay my, when I go to the grocery store, 
I don't ask them for a payment plan. I pay my grocery bill. If I can't afford those groceries, then I'm putting something back. I used to, as a matter of fact, when I was single mom and I was like 21 years old, I used to take a calculator with me to make sure that I could afford that grocery bill. It's the same thing with clickers? insurance. Yeah. The, I, grocery clickers. I had one of those. Yeah. I used, to, I used <laughs> to do that all the time to make sure that I was, you know, yeah. not going to get up to the cash and be embarrassed. But it's the same thing with insurance. Put your monthly payment plan on your fridge and make sure the money is in there. I know stuff happens, especially through COVID. It was a huge problem. I have two staff members that all they do all day is send people notices about their NSF payment and that there's going to be a second withdrawal. And people get completely offended. And this is where I get frustrated is that they get offended that the insurance company is going to go in for that payment a second. They're going to make a second attempt. Well, they're exposed to millions of dollars of loss and you haven't paid your whatever it is, $2,000 premium, right? So this, this is a problem and this is a problem throughout the country and I know things are tough and insurance rates are going up and there is a lot of reasons for that and that we can get that we can have an entire podcast on about why insurance is going up. But we will. <laughs> don't let it get canceled for non-payment, whatever you do. And if you can call ahead of time, keeping in mind, you call the day before a payment is coming out, there is nothing anybody can do about it. Tapes are sent into the banks 10 days before, 10 business days before. So if you know you're going to have a problem in that month, that it's a tough month, something happened, let your agent or broker know well ahead of the payment date so that it doesn't get canceled. Because if we can call prior to the tape going in, the the insurance company might be able to stop that payment and double it up for the next month. And work or, with you on it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and this is the other thing. Um, having a car and buying insurance for that car you're not entitled to it. Buying a car yeah. and having being able to drive a car is a privilege. And I think yeah. that's what people miss. They think they're entitled. And I know this is not, your viewers are not going to like that statement, but it's true when you deal with this on a day-to-day basis, when people are offended that they're getting the monthly premium taken out, you're not entitled to it. You know, like you're entitled to service. You're entitled to the promise that, that the insurance company has made to pay any claim. But the insurance company is also entitled to the premium. And that's that's my stink with uh, winter tires and stuff. It's the cost of driving a car. It's all part of the, the cost. And yeah, it's expensive and I you know I sympathize. I have to pay it too. Um, the other thing is if you if your company does drop you for non-payment, you can't just run out and get another company because they all share this information. Yeah, well, the, it's listed on your, it's called an auto plus report or insurance history mm-hmm. report. It will show your last policy canceled for non-payment. And when we were talking about the lapse in coverage, if it's mm-hmm. a lapse in coverage due to a cancellation for non-payment, they can rate for that. They can treat you as a brand new driver for that. Or okay. if there's been a couple of cancellations for non-payment, you may not be eligible for a regular market. So where you were paying $2,000 a year through a regular market, you're now paying 6000 Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Something because there's on. two cancellations for non-payment in three years. That's that's a that's under the regulations for every insurance company has to file why they will not or the reasons to refuse business because in Ontario, 
most private insurer provinces, it's a take-all-commerce rule. So they have to rate everybody that falls within their guidelines. Within their guidelines, it says we will not rate a person who has a cancellation for non-payment and two tickets, or an at-fault loss in the last six years and a cancellation for non-payment. Or if you have two cancellations for non-payment, we're not rating you. Then you have to go to the non-standard market and you're looking at triple the premium. So I beg my clients, don't <laughs> let it get canceled for non-payment because the amount of work I have to do to get you rewritten is, it's painful, it's expensive, you're not going to be able to afford it. If you can't afford the $2,000 a year now, you're not affording six. My car got bashed. You know this, of course, because yeah. I called you. Yes. Uh, my car got hit in a parking lot. And in Ontario, the police say... Um, you don't have to call police if it's less than $3,000 damage and nobody was hurt. And again, this is on private property. Um, and I looked at it and went, oh, like I knew it was more than, oh, sorry, $2,000, I think yeah, is the number. Yeah, it's 2000 Yeah. I will dare anyone, not dare, but challenge anyone to look at a dent and know how much it's going to cost to fix that. Modern cars are full of sensors and cameras and all this other stuff. Absolutely. I looked at mine. I've done a gig in a, a body shop working on stuff. I learned a whole bunch. It was great. And I looked at it and thought, oh, that's $3,000 damage. It was over five yeah. because it didn't look like much until I got it in. Now, it was considered a failure to remain. I went to the reporting place and the cops wrote it up and it's getting yeah. fixed. I went through insurance because you told me, yes, that's what yeah. it's for. And so it's getting fixed. But a lot of times something will happen and the, if the person's still there, not a failure to remain, someone will say to you, oh, let's just handle this ourselves and not call insurance. So I have a two-part question for you. One, you can't tell by looking how much damage has been caused and that person shouldn't be able to coerce you into thinking that it's not a, a problem. The other thing is you don't know who this person is. You have no idea. And they might be thinking their Uncle Ted's going to fix it and you're thinking, excuse me, you're thinking your dealership's going to fix it. So what should people be doing when someone says, let's not involve insurance? Is that even a thing anymore when everyone knows everything? It, well, it is a thing. Um, I mean, I've I've told clients when they've rear-ended somebody and it, that lightly tapped their bumper, I've said, pay for it yourself. In Ontario, there is a minor collision um, guideline that if a claim is under $2,000 per vehicle, there's no injuries and the at-fault party pays for the loss and there's no payout by an insurance company, it cannot be rated against you. I always suggest, regardless of whether you hit somebody or somebody hit you, always report it to your broker. Agents work for direct trading companies. That's another thing entirely. So if you're with a company that's a direct writer like TD, Desjardins, um, RBC, anything like that, that's another conversation because they do list it on your, uh, whether you put through a claim or not. Asking them for advice is not a good idea. Speak to a broker. Um, Let's say that part twice. <laughs> if you call your insurance company, they start typing the second they answer the phone. That's right. A broker starts typing in our own system. Because we want to note the loss, because you do, if it does have to go through insurance, let's say you hit somebody, it's a little scratch on the bumper, it's not much, you want to pay for the damage to that person yourself. They still have two years less a day to report an injury. And if they do, and you haven't reported that to your broker or to the insurance company at all, even as a report only, for notice only, um, 
you've prejudiced the insurance company to investigate that injury. This is scary. It's, I know this someone is this happened problem. to. Yeah. Yeah. The day yeah, before, problem. you're right. Two years. Yeah. You've long forgotten about it. And then they come and then and it. then you get a lawsuit. So this is this is where there's a problem. So I always suggest talk, pick up the phone and talk to your broker. And well, I mean, as a broker, we have claims waiver forms. Like if you're genuinely paying for the damage and you're, you're keep in mind, you're going to have to pay for their rental car too, right? Mm-hmm. While their car is in the shop. So it can be expensive. If you've never had an accident before and you have accident waiver on your policy, because of those sensors and depending on the vehicle that you've hit, yeah. you might want to, just let it go through insurance and take the hit to your record. When you have accident waiver, though, it does not transfer to other insurance companies. Regardless of what province you're in, if you have accident waiver, it doesn't go to the other company. You're charged in full for that loss. So you're basically held hostage by your insurance company for the next six years, for the most part. So you <laughs> want to be careful on where you're using it. If the person seems genuine, you know, take their information, have them get a couple of estimates for sure. Um, you know, like I always I get the call from my client. Well, he says he has a guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Okay. Yeah. But you don't know who the guy is. Yeah. The other, and this even leads to when you are going through the insurance company and you don't choose the insurance company's preferred shop, you have a guy, <laughs> that guy's work is not guaranteed. Only the preferred shops by the insurance companies is the work guaranteed. So if something went sideways after you get the vehicle back, you're on your own. So where's the role of collision reporting centers in here? Um, If you've decided you're going to handle this yourself and you've called your broker, should you still take it to a collision reporting? Absolutely. Absolutely. But you you do have to tell them that you don't want it sent to the insurance company because they automatically send through the notice. Um, What, you do want is for it to be reported and for the photos to be taken for both parties because what can oftentimes happen on those unscrupulous individuals is that it was a scratch on their bumper and then all of a sudden the entire bumper is bashed in and that's the other thing I wanted to mention about losses when you are involved in a fender bender take pictures I don't know many people that don't have a smartphone that don't have some sort of Um, camera on their phone take photos of the accident because that can help the insurance if it does land up going through insurance and there is an injury claim later on that does help the insurance company in in terms of settling that loss right so do you have do you have seven days to go to a collision reporting session is there a seven days or as soon as practicable okay Okay, okay, because so you can't sometimes wait two months. Yeah. no, no, absolutely not. No, you should be there within 24 hours. That would be my suggestion to it, like within 24 okay. hours. But stuff happens. I mean, we just had a storm before Christmas that nobody could go anywhere for 48 hours. I didn't even notice my car was bashed in for like three days because we don't use it. Yeah, well, <laughs> I went on a walk and came back and saw a passenger side. So yeah, well, if you if you're if you're the only driver of the car, like I don't look at my passenger side unless I'm going <laughs> into the office and I'm putting something into the passenger side. I'm not at the passenger side of my car. Mm. I'm never there. So you, yeah, they, it's as soon as as soon as you notice it, of course. Okay, what are the what are the bigs that will increase your rates no matter what? People are always terrified of the rates going up. And as you said, rates go up anyway. It doesn't always have to be something you did. It's just the state of the industry. But what are the big 
two or three things that you're telling people you'll just tank your insurance career <laughs> if you do this. What? Cancellation for non-payment. Okay. <laughs> Tickets. Do not drink and drive. Distracted driving is now, um, for most provinces, it's now a major conviction, not a minor one. Um, major convictions are surchargeable on insurance. So don't to leave your phone in the back. Leave it in your purse. Do not touch your phone while you're driving, please. Um, that does that actually causes more losses than impaired driving now. Is distracted so, driving. And I know if you're convicted of impaired, you if you got in a crash or you did something, you're not covered. Your victims your, might are. Your victims are only covered up to two hundred thousand. Because like even if you purchased a million liability, the insurance company only has to pay the mandatory limit in the province, which in general is 200000 across the board, except for a couple of provinces where it's five. And you, if you were convicted of impaired, you have to pay back the insurance company whatever they paid out of that 200000 So if I'm driving around and somebody who is hammered crashes into me and they get convicted of that... I only can get 200000 to get put back together? Yes. However, if you have a proper policy, which of course you do, you have what's <laughs> called OPCF 44, which is a misnomer. It's called the Family Protection Endorsement. It's actually underinsured motorist coverage. If you have that coverage, and this is across the board, all of Canada, this a name for it. The name may be different, but it's underinsured motorist coverage. So your impaired driver hits you. You can only get 200000 out of their policy, but you have a million liability and your award is a million dollars. You can get the other 800000 from your OPCF 44. If your award was $1.3 million, you're still only getting 800000 The underinsured motorist coverage covers you from the point of their coverage, whatever their coverage is going to cover you for, to your limit. So they're only going to, they may have a million, but they were impaired. So their insurance company only has to pay out 200000 You have a million on the OPCF 44. You're awarded $1.3. you are going to get 800000 from your insurance company, 200000 from their insurance company. And then the other 300000 you can sue them personally for. But is it worth it? Because you're going to have, not to, gonna have anything left. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're going to have to hire a lawyer to get that 300000 So it's probably not worth it. Okay. So are we seeing that distracted? Because you're absolutely right that those numbers are getting worse than impaired. I always say drunks are usually at least trying to drive. Impaired yeah. aren't, or distracted aren't even looking at the road. Exactly. Um, is that the same thing? If you're convicted of a distracted driving charge and you've caused all this damage, is it the same thing? If it's limit? under the if it's a criminal code offense, okay, which distracted driving in certain provinces is a criminal code offense, okay. then it's the same thing as impaired driving. So okay. you're, you're under the same limitations on your policy. And just uh, and just imagine if you're the impaired driver and you're hurt, there's barely any coverage under accident benefits. Certain limited accident benefits apply, but who are you going to sue for your injuries? You can't. You can't sue yourself. So you're SOL. So people do not drink and drive. Oh, and put down your phone, as you said. Exactly. Um, One of my my colleagues on a previous podcast, he said if he could change anything, it would be the fact that everybody 
is so distracted in the cars, and some of it is the car tech itself, the screens, the layers of infotainment systems, which I can't stand, and phones in their hand, but the cars themselves are very distracting. Mm -hmm. Are we anywhere in, like, will insurance companies try and prove that you were on the phone, let's say, or texting? Does anyone, is that just stuff in movies? Like, does anybody care or check? Well, it, de it depends on the degree of loss. If they're facing like a, a multi-million dollar lawsuit, you can be prepared to be investigated, right? Mm -hmm. So is there a way, if they can get a subpoena for your phone records? Absolutely, they will. They're not going to pay. Insurance companies are going to pay out where they have to. But if they don't have to pay, why should they? Why would you? Mm -hmm right? It's a business like anything else. They're going to mitigate their losses, right? So if they're faced with a multi-million dollar lawsuit, like a $2 million lawsuit for an injury, they're going to seriously investigate the claim. And if they can prove that they're not liable because you were impaired or you were distracted driving, and they can lower what they have to pay out, they're going to do so. And I think, and I don't think that's the big bad insurance company. Insurance companies are running a business, you know, so they mm -hmm. still have to make sure that they're not paying out, you know, ridiculous amounts of money for no reason when they're not actually liable for it. Okay. I want to finish this off with some education. Not that this hasn't all been very educational. When I came to you, you suggested, and this is years ago, I've known Debbie forever, you suggested this coverage, this coverage, this coverage. As I've gone along as your client, you've emailed me and said, we need to change this or this as rules change and coverages change. Now, I said, yes, just do it, Debbie, because I yeah. don't want to, you know, I, I believe you. But what I'm going to ask you, what are the top two or three things that people have turned down or not bothered with? And then come back later and said to you, I so wish I had done this or this or this. What do you see the most frequently? Um, liability limits. Uh, because they get sued. If, you, if you hit somebody and hurt them and you get sued for $1.3 million and you only have a million liability and that only saved you 50 bucks a year, that's a big one. Um, so I, I only, I quote 2 million and if a client decides on 1 million, I make them sign in blood for it because it's not <laughs> a big stretch. Yeah. Uh, increased deductibles for collision and comp that doesn't make a lot of sense. So you have to pay out a thousand dollar deductible when it would have literally been $20 more to have a $500 deductible. I did have one client in the provinces that operate on a no fault system Direct compensation property damage is the no-fault portion where if somebody hits you, it's 100% their fault. Damage is paid for by your insurance company. I had a doctor put a deductible there because there is an option to do that to lower your cost. It doesn't lower the cost or the premium that much. Like we're talking under 100 bucks a year. And he insisted on putting a deductible there. And I... I wrote him letters and sent him emails about why this is a really bad idea. Insisted on it. Picked up a brand new vehicle. He's following his wife in his vehicle. She's driving the new vehicle. Gets rear-ended. He hits his wife in the brand new vehicle because somebody hit him. He's following her. He hits her. He has to pay a $1,000 deductible, even though it wasn't his fault. And he yelled at me three ways to Sunday. 
<laughs> and then I just I sent him all the letters and the emails I sent him about what a bad idea it was to put a deductible under no fault insurance. <laughs> he finally understood. <laughs> okay. After the fact. Okay. After the fact. Yeah. So listen to your broker. <laughs> When they suggest certain coverages, I recently had an unfortunate loss with um, an owner of a company. He was side swiped and the accident was so bad. His L2 is crushed. His left foot is broken and he suffered a severe concussion. He was out of it for, I think it was in a coma for a week on this. I had increased the medical rehab and attendant care coverage to the maximum allowable in Ontario. I quote that on every every quote I I give. I give people this. Whether they take it or not, it's optional. That's fine. But you need to know what the cost is. Thank God he has because he's he runs a really big company. He's going to be in physio for years over this after all the surgeries and everything. And in Ontario, um, non-catastrophic injury is 65000 and cat losses are a million. Because I did that, he has $3 million in coverage. So, wow. the, and keeping in mind, courts were, are backed up two years because of COVID. So, yes, he's going to be able to sue the third party for economic loss, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's going to take five to seven years to get through the courts. But because he has that coverage, so don't discount that optional coverage, regardless of the province you're in, because most provinces, you can up your accident benefits. Take a look at that. I think that's the most underrated and underused portion of insurance that people don't look at, and you should. Uh, Quebec residents, I'm sorry, you're SOL because the government takes care of you as far as that goes. And I won't comment further on that. <laughs> well, I, I think we tend to forget. Um, I 25 years ago, um, a woman T-boned me, low speed, and someone to clean the house, someone to shovel snow. My kids were tiny. I was a single mom. All the stuff you don't think about. Like, exactly. I couldn't rake leaves. I couldn't. And this was a few months and physio. I needed that. But yeah, you don't think about all those things that you just automatically do. And I know we've talked about this before on when we were doing the Lemonade Show. And you said sometimes, especially a senior living alone who is used to doing this and this and this, all of a sudden they can't do those things. Exactly. So they you need to pay someone arm. to come in and do it. Yeah. Exactly. You have a broken arm. How are you going to dust and vacuum? Yeah. So just maybe pay attention. Things. Yeah. So maybe with your parents. And grandparents, check out the coverages that they also have if they're still driving. Like, go over the policies that they're probably just renewing every year because people we do that. Yeah. But maybe keep an eye out for the people you care about and see what kind of coverages they have and what their lifestyle now is because it could be vastly different than it was, you know, 20 remember, years ago. remember, if it's say. a parent or grandparent, you're going to be doing it if they yeah. don't have that coverage. And housekeeping and home maintenance in Ontario is only available if you're catastrophically injured unless you've purchased the option for all injuries. So any of my retirees or anybody living alone, I have the coverage on my policy um, because I got a three-story home. I'm not I'm not taking a vacuum cleaner up those stairs with a broken leg, right? I'm not even doing it without a broken leg. So that's... <laughs> <laughs> On that note, <laughs> that's it for this edition of The Driving Podcast. I'm Lorraine Sommerfeld. I want to really thank my guest, Debbie Arnold. You've been awesome. You can subscribe to our show through iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. Be sure to check out past episodes of The Driving Podcast. We'll see you next time, everybody. Bye.